series in Corinthians, so let's open up, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles on our back table or right outside as we continue this series in Christ, in Christ. When I was uh, growing up, I had a, I don't want to say a weightlifting buddy, but someone that would take me to lift weights, and uh, he was much more into it than me. And so we, we'd go to his garage, we'd lift weights, I was in high school, and uh, he had an, uh, a fish, uh, an, an arowana fish, that, that long silver fish with that little thing sticking out of its, its uh, lip. Uh, and his fish, right, th- they can grow up to, I believe, around three feet long, right, really beautiful fish. But an arowana has a tendency to jump out of the fish tank that you have it in. So you have to keep it covered. In fact, that arowana that my friend had ended up jumping out of the fish tank and ended up dying. Ended up dying. So if you have an arowana, you always want to keep it covered. And we don't know why. It, I mean, scientists can guess why it tries to jump out. Maybe it's looking for food. Maybe it's looking for, for freedom. Maybe it's trying to get out of that fish tank. And so, um, you know, I, th- I thought about that when I thought about the, this topic of what it means to be free, right? The topic of freedom, where say if that fish wanted to get out so bad, right? So it, it, it was willing to jump out of the fish tank thinking maybe there's freedom there, but it ended up be to its death, right? Something that looked like freedom wasn't really freedom, and when we as human beings, right, even just think about this topic of freedom, I think it's easy to think, and it's very common to think, that freedom means doing whatever we want, whatever we feel like, whatever we think is best, doing what we want to do. We can easily equate that to freedom. But often in our times, I know for me, where I would think that doing what I want is, is freedom for me when it ends up being actually detrimental to me. Because freedom, as we're going we're to think through, isn't doing what we want, but it's living as we are created to live. Just like a fish that jumps out of the fish tank. It thinks it's going to be free, but the fish was created to enjoy the freedom of living in water. And we were created to enjoy living in Christ and living out what Christ has called us to live out. And, and that's what Paul is going to be encouraging the church in Corinth. Right? It's to live out the freedom that God has for them. Not the freedom that they think they're supposed to be living in. See, the people in, in Corinth were, were struggling with this topic of Meat sacrificed to idols. And we'll, we'll remind ourselves of that in, in, in a little bit. And some of them in the church thought that the freedom that they could experience was basically eating whatever meat that they want, especially if it's meat sacrificed to idols, or eating meat in a, te- in a pagan temple. And what they didn't realize was that by doing so, they were actually hurting other followers of Jesus in the church and they were also hurting their own relationship with God. And so Paul's going to show them a better way to live in the freedom that Christ has given to them. So let me just do a quick catch-up of, of, of what's going on here in the church. So the, the people in the church were navigating this, this topic of eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and then also eating in a temple 
that was dedicated to one of these idols. This was a gray area in the church. Right? And a few weeks ago when we were in this series, we were, were kind of thinking through different gray areas. Right? We got Halloween coming up. I know a, a topic of conversation between Christians and disagreement is, do you, do you go trick-or-treating? Do you allow your children to dress up in costumes? What kind of costumes do you allow them to dress up in? If your workplace has a Halloween party, do you, do you attend? Do you enjoy? Do you celebrate? Do you put up Hall- Halloween decorations? Right, so Christians, right, we have a lot of different gray area type situations where the answer isn't always so clear. Where there's not a specific Bible verse that says, right, don't hang up a little skeleton bone outside of your house. Don't read Harry Potter or watch its movies, right? There, there, there are certain topics where it's not clearly laid out in Scripture, right? And so we're looking for principles in the Scriptures to guide our decision-making. And Christians, right, will, will come out with, with, with different convictions, different convictions. I'm sure we've all experienced that, right, where, where we've had a difference of opinion with another Christian, and it can turn really nasty and, and argumentative, or it can be lived out beautifully in love and humility. So, so for the Corinthians, their gray area, their issue was meat that was sacrificed to an idol, offered to an idol, but then sold in the marketplace and then, and then eaten. Was that a okay thing to do? Could you do it or could you not do it? And then the second topic was, could you eat meat in a pagan temple? Because in those days, a lot of the restaurants were connected to the temple. So you want to eat at Ruth Chris? You got to go to the Temple of Zeus because that's where the restaurant is attached to. Because it makes sense, right? They sacrifice the animal to Zeus, and then that extra meat gets right into the restaurant to be cooked. Can you go into that pagan temple and eat in it? And so Paul responds in, from chapter 8, then chapter 9, then chapter 10, Paul lays out the principles and, and, and the way that this church ought to navigate these gray areas. So let me just quick reminder, quick refresher. So in chapter 8, right, Paul says uh, to them about this topic, right, that for those who could eat the meat, sacrifice the idols, right, the reason you wouldn't do it at times was if it causes a brother or sister in the church Right, to follow you, even though their conscience says, no, I'm not supposed to do it. But because they see you doing it, they're like, oh, I, don't, I shouldn't do it, but he's doing it. I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm sinning. I know I'm sinning, but he's doing it. Right, he's, it's causing that brother or sister to follow against their conscience and causing them to sin and stumble. Paul says, says we, we sh- that's not love. We shouldn't do that. Right? It's like a sibling who's able to do something while um, the, the other sibling, they can't do it because it'll end up hurting them. Right? Paul's saying, right, you have to look out for your spiritual brother and sister in Christ. Their well-being takes precedence over your freedom to eat that meat. Chapter 8, right? And in chapter 9, Paul backs up his words by action, right? So, so Paul, how are you giving that example? Well, Paul uses himself as an example, right? He said, Paul said, I gave up my rights, certain rights, Right? I could have been paid by the church. I could have been supported by the church. Right? But I chose not to do that. I chose not to receive compensation for what I'm doing. I could have. I had the right to do it. I got Old Testament scriptures to back it up. Right? Don't muzzle the ox. But I didn't use that right if it caused that church to struggle in a certain way. So Paul's saying, here, let me give you an example of my own life where I let go of a right that I totally could have used 
in order to better serve the church. And then chapter 10, Paul gives a warning to those who could eat meat, sacrifice idols, whose conscience wasn't, uh, um, you know, allowed them to eat. Paul gives an example, a history lesson from the nation of Israel when they were wandering in the desert. Right, for people who thought, ah, eating meat, sacrifice to idols, it's not a big deal. I'm not, I'm not going to worship idols. Paul says, well, don't forget about the Israelites who committed idolatry. Remember Aaron and the golden calf. And they, they, they ate the meat and worshiped other gods. So Paul, in a sense, gives this warning. Hey, you, you know, okay, you're, you're going to the temple of Zeus. You're eating at that restaurant there. And you might think, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just eating food, right? Meat, God, God gave us the meat. Zeus is not a real god. But don't forget, the Israelites, they too ate and they fell into idolatry, right? W worshiping the golden calf. So if you think you're standing, be careful lest you fall. And then Paul gives an example of how meals can be special and important. He talks about communion, right? And how communion is a special time where believers got, got together and, and ate of the bread, drank of the wine, right? Had a, their love feast, this, time of eating together. And Paul is saying, look, eating can be very meaningful, right? They're worshiping God through that meal. So when you eat at a temple dedicated to another God, right, just think about it, right? It, 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 it can be more than just, just filling your stomachs. And so Paul is laying out this, this, this argument and these principles of how we ought to navigate gray issues. And then he continues that in verse 23. And that's what we're going we're gonna to pick up on as he talks about how we're to use our freedom in Christ. So verse 23, he says, everything is permissible, it's lawful, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good but the good of the other person. So when it comes to the freedom of eating meat, sacrifice to idols, those who could, right? And it's lawful for them. They're allowed to. The question would be, well, does it build others up? Is it seeking the good of other brothers and sisters? So for us, when it comes to the freedom that we have in Christ, it's the freedom to build up our brothers and sisters. Using our freedom to encourage other believers to be more like Christ, to grow to be more like him. So just because we can do it, we're not going to get arrested for it, doesn't always mean we should do it just because we have. I remember when I uh, first moved out of my parents' place and I was thinking, freedom, right? moved out of my parents' place. Right? I can cook whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. I can buy whatever I want. But I realized after a short time, I really can't. And I don't have a lot of money. And eating spaghetti with no meat, just sauce and Portuguese sausage every day is probably not very healthy for me, right? Just because I could do it doesn't mean I should do it. And Paul is saying, right, that we're free to seek others' success, to build them up, seek their growth. Because there is a joy when we can see other brothers and sisters around us Growing in their love for Jesus. Having a front row seat in seeing other people's spiritual growth. But not only that, right, because we're brothers and sisters of Christ, right, we seek other, each other's success, but we also look out for each other. Right? 
to protect one another as brothers and sisters. That we would not fall into idolatry as some of them were in the church of Corinth. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. When I was a freshman in high school, um, you know, when you're typically a freshman, you, you kinda, it's kind of scary to go to a high school because you, know, you get picked on by the seniors and the juniors. I had my two older sisters in the same high school. One was a senior, the other was a junior. And so when I came on campus, I actually wasn't afraid of being picked on as a freshman because I knew that my siblings had my back. I knew that they were there at the school with me, and so I could freely walk around knowing that, that my siblings were, were with me. But we're a part of the family of God, which means we're now free right, to get each other's back, to look out for our best interests. And, and if we're doing something that could harm or lead another brother or sister to sin, right, why would we ever do that to our brother or sister? And so Paul is saying that this freedom that we have, it's to help and benefit others around us. Second, it's a freedom that we have to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us. Let's look at verse 25, 26. Paul says, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Right? Don't make it a big deal. Go to the marketplace, enjoy the meat. Why? Verse 26. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is, is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of their conscience. Right, so Paul's saying, okay, you go to the market, enjoy the meat. Enjoy the meat, right? For those who could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, enjoy it. Why? Well, Paul gives scripture as the reason. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In, in other words, because God made the cow. So enjoy that steak. Enjoy it. We are free to enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us. I mean, think all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, God said to them, you are free to eat any of the trees in the garden except one. Right? So our first ancestors were, were, were basically told, look at all this. Look at all this food. Enjoy. There's just one that you don't eat from. Everything else, right? Enjoy. Right? That's an incredible amount of options, right? Everything except one. Right? It's a gift from God. Right? And God has given us so many good things to enjoy as gifts given to us. And I think as Christians, even myself, I can, be, I can be guilty of not celebrating and being joyful of all these gifts that God has given to us, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's certain hobbies, whether it's our relationships. Right? There's so much that we can enjoy, that God has given to us. And here's the thing, right? As followers of Jesus, there's an even deeper level of enjoyment from the gifts that we're given because we know that there's a creator, there's a giver behind that gift. Right? For someone who does not know the Lord, 
right? They can eat a piece of steak, let's change the food, right? Eat a nice, fresh salad, right? And they can say, wow, that steak was good. Wow, that salad was super tasty. But their level of enjoyment, it stops. It kind of stops there, right? Maybe, maybe to the cook, but that's about it. Right? But as Christians, we have this next level enjoyment. This next level enjoyment because we know the creator behind that gift. We know the maker of that. So like, for example, when, uh, when Trisha and I were first married, uh, she wanted to bless me when, when it was my birthday. And so she knew that I loved prime rib. So she actually borrowed one of those, those kind of slow cookers from, from my father-in-law and purchased meat. And for my birthday, she cooked me prime rib. Now, I enjoyed the prime rib, but there was a, another level of enjoyment that I had was I knew the person who made the prime rib for me. Right? It was my wife. Right, so there was this extra added layer of gratitude and joy because I knew the person behind the gift. See, as followers of Jesus, when we remember, intentionally remember the giver of the gift as we're enjoying the gift, right, it's worship. Because as we're eating, as we're, we're in that relationship with that friend or that family member, as we're doing that hobby, right, we're also worshiping the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you for this person. Thank you for that, uh, you know, that, that time of basketball that we got to play in. Thank you for all oh, that delicious meal that, that I'm enjoying right now. Right? There's this next level of enjoyment. So I want to encourage us right, to, to, to grow in our, in our enjoyment of the gifts God has given to us, that it would point us ultimately to our creator. And what we also remember, though, is these are just gifts. They're just gifts. So when there's a time to come when we're choosing between enjoying something or serving someone else because their conscience won't allow them to enjoy that same activity, right? we choose to seek that person's good. Right? That's, that's what Paul's saying here. Right? He's saying as you're hanging out with someone right, and there's food offered and someone says that food was offered to an idol, Right, that person's conscience, he's saying it, or she's saying it, because they're saying, uh-oh, like, I don't think you should eat that. I don't think we should eat that. Paul's saying, all right, once someone says that, once you know that that person would struggle, right, could, could be led into sin, then, then don't eat of the meat. Because it's a gift, but it's not the ultimate gift. It's better, right, to serve that brother or sister by not eating that food. Yeah, you can enjoy that on your own, but if it's causing this brother to stumble or that sister to stumble, Right, don't eat of it because that could be harming their relationship with, with the Lord. I want to remind us that when it comes to, to stumbling, a stumbling block, it, it's not something that someone just doesn't like. Like, oh, I don't like that you're dressing up you know, in, in Halloween clothes or, or whatnot. No, stumbling means that the person is tempted to participate in it and, and violate their own conscience. That's stumbling. It's not grumbling. Right? It's not grumbling, like, oh, I don't like that you're doing that. I don't like that you're drinking that. No, that's grumbling. That's not stumbling. Stumbling is, I want to drink that too, but I, I cannot, but I'm being tempted to. So big difference between stumbling and grumbling. Okay? Uh, verse 29, Paul says this. He says, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Right, God is the judge. That person's not the ultimate judge. God is the, the judge. 
Verse 30, if I partake with thanksgiving, right, if I eat, right, and I'm thanking the Lord, I'm not worshiping an idol, why am I criticized because of something for which I gave thanks? So again, do you see the principles God, uh, Paul's laying out here, right? So if you're free to enjoy that, that, that meat, right, you can freely enjoy it. Yeah, you might get criticized for it, right, but, but your conscience allows it. You're not causing anyone to stumble. Worship the Lord by enjoying it. But if it causes somebody else to stumble, then, then don't do it. And I think there's a principle that we can pull out from, from verse 30, uh, 29 and 30. When Paul talks about, for why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Is, is that there are times we, we can't be criticized and judged, right? And, and it's not our fault. But the good news of the gospel is that someone else's judgment and criticism does not have to have control over us, right? Because it's so easy to live to just please people, right? To make them not be mad at us. And God has freed us from living ensnared by other people's opinions of us. And as Christians, right, we can have the tendency to, to judge one another, especially when it comes to gray areas. It's not stumbling, but just grumbling and judging. Paul had to address this to the Romans in chapter 14. He said this, the same topic of food sacrifice to idols, gray areas. Paul said in verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Great areas. Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister for eating that meat or for whatever it is, that gray area? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Right? We're not each other's judge, critiquer. Right? God is the judge. When Christ has freed us from having to be judges and live under human judges, criticizers. We're free to enjoy God's good gifts, but we're also free to serve those who stumble. And in verse 31 to 33, Paul says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but of benefit of many, so that many, or so that they may be saved. Now, right, maybe as you read this, right, maybe you're like me, you kind of think about Galatians, right? The letter to the Galatians from Paul. In chapter 1, Paul talks about not pleasing people. He pleases God, not pleasing people. And then you read this, and you're like, okay, wait. Is Paul contradicting himself? Because in verse 32, he says, or 33, I also try to please everyone in everything. So Galatians chapter 1, please God, not man. 1 Corinthians 10, 33, Please everyone in everything. Right, so what's going on here? Is Paul contradicting himself? No, because we want to see the motive here. Right? Paul's motive to pleasing everyone in everything is so that many would come to know Jesus. Many would be saved. That's what Paul says at the end of verse 33. Saved from the consequences of their sin through trusting in Christ. Saved from living apart from God for eternity. Saved from being enslaved to sin, 
Where Paul's saying that's his purpose of why he's doing what he's doing. It's so that others would come to know Jesus. He pleases everyone so that they might come to know Jesus. Not so that they would like Paul, not so that they wouldn't criticize Paul, but that they would experience the same freedom that Paul did. That they would be pleased in Christ. Right, because think about Paul's life, right? Paul came to know Jesus when he was a religious person, right? But he lacked life, spiritual life. He followed rules, right, that made him think he was superior to others. But deep down, Paul was empty. Paul knew a lot of the Old Testament, but he didn't know that they pointed ultimately to Jesus. Instead, Paul hated Jesus and hated his followers and sought to imprison them. But it was on that particular road to Damascus that Jesus met Paul. And Paul came to realize that Jesus really is the Son of God who died and rose again. And Paul's life was transformed by Jesus. And he was set free from his sin to experience the joy and the pleasure of Jesus. And now Paul, after experiencing Jesus' love, wants everyone else to experience Jesus' love. And so the way Paul will do that is by pleasing others. Now, pleasing doesn't mean give everyone what they want. Pleasing doesn't mean filling every need that a person has. Because we're not God, we can't fill every need that every person in our life has. Nor is it a good, good idea to give everyone everything that they want. That's not what Paul is saying. Right, what Paul is saying here is he's willing, Paul is willing to take away any hindrance from a person that keeps them from believing in Jesus. Paul wants others to be pleased in Jesus. So if it's meat sacrificed to idols, if, if that's an issue for someone coming to Jesus, then Paul's saying, then, then I won't ever eat meat again. Because he wants that person to come to know Jesus. And if that is a roadblock, if that particular issue or activity is something that that person is just struggling with and they can't get over that and listen, listen to the gospel unless that is removed, Paul's saying, then I'm going to take it away. I'm going to take it away. Paul wants every person that, that he meets to come to know the Jesus that he loves and enjoys. Even if that means Paul giving up a cherished activity or a right that he has. That's how much Paul wanted to see other people come to know Jesus. So then how about us, right? How much do we want to see our family member enjoy Jesus, our friend, our co-worker, our neighbor to come to know the Lord? Right, recently we were encouraged to think about that one person in our life, one person, that family member, that friend, that co-worker who doesn't know Jesus. Right? And, and we had that little bap baptism card and we wrote their name on it and it was a reminder to, to pray for them, that we would love for them, we want for them to come to know Jesus. Maybe we, we read this, these words from Paul and we think, man, I, I, I'm not there, I, I don't care about the loss as much as Paul does, as much as Jesus does, right? What do we do, right? We ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to give us his heart for the loss. His passion for those who don't know him. So that like Paul, we, we, we could say in our hearts, we're willing to give up even enjoying a 
tasty food like steak just so that, right, someone else can come to know. We're willing to give up that cherished activity that could be causing someone to stumble because we would rather see that friend come to trust in Jesus. Right? Ask the Lord to give us that heart that he has. And then continue to pray for that person that we would love to see Jesus. And then ask the Lord to give us the strength to continue to serve and to love them. And finally, to look at Jesus as a perfect example who gave up his rights and his privileges to save us, right? Jesus himself left the perfection of heaven, the worship of angels up in perfection, and he came to this sinful, broken earth in order to save us. Laid down his life on the cross, rose again from the dead so that we could experience freedom in him. And now he sends us out, right, with this good news for the people in our lives. One of the ways that we remember this freedom that we have in Christ is through taking communion. And we're going to be doing that. Uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, and um, if, if you didn't grab a communion cup, we have them right on this back table. You're welcome to stand up now and, and, and grab a cup. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remind ourselves of the love of Jesus for us, that he set us free through his sacrifice. Now he calls us right, to tell others about how they can be set free and enjoy this freedom that we have in Christ. He gave up his body for us. He became fully human, suffering. His body was broken so that we could be healed. And so we remember and we celebrate Christ's sacrifice by taking of the cracker. So I encourage us to let's take of the cracker together, representing his body, thanking him for giving his life for us. Let's go ahead and do that together. In the Bible, blood is a symbol of, of life. And so Jesus, he shed his blood on the cross. He, he offered his life. It wasn't taken from him. He laid it down willingly for us so that we wouldn't suffer eternal judgment for our rebellion against God. He gave us his perfect record of living applied to us so that we are now declared righteous through his shed blood. Let's go ahead and drink of the blood and thank, or drink of the juice, thanking the Lord for his shed blood for us. One way that we, we worship the Lord and see the gospel spread is through the local church. And one way you can support is through financial giving. And you can do that online or you can do that in the box in the back. Let me go ahead and pray for us as we respond now to this good news of Christ setting us free. Father, we thank you that we are free now, free to serve our brothers and sisters, one another in love. We're free to enjoy the good gifts that you have given to us. And now you send us out on this mission to tell others of what you have done. Lord, so embolden us, empower us for that mission that you have sent us on. And thank you that we're not alone, but you are with us to the very end of the age. And we want to respond now to this good news in praise because you have set us free, Lord Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.
I want to invite you to stand as we now respond to the good news of God.